0: Thank you, Mike. Good morning. Glad you're here at Our Lord's. Would it be sacrilegious if the church stopped to pray for Rafael Nadal to win his tennis match this morning? (laughs) That might be a little out of place, right? I was just kind of having a conversation with God this morning, and I was like, why do I like watching him play tennis so much? Is that okay? I'm sitting here in church. I'm worshiping you. I just sense the Lord's pleasure in that, as long as it's in priority, right? As long as I'm not locked up at home shunning my family so I can watch Raphael Nadal play tennis. Some of you are going, I don't care about tennis. Something about the guy, though, he is a fighter. So he can be out there with broken body parts, still playing and fighting and every point. And actually, that ties into what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about sustaining faith. And last week, some of you were here, and I transparently shared an encounter that I had 25 years ago about worldwide revival. And this is part two of that. I mentioned last week that I was going to follow up and share how in the world do we live in light of promises like that. And if you remember last week, if you didn't hear it, you can go back and listen to it, but I shared three places in Scripture that talk about worldwide glory, worldwide worship, and worldwide evangelism. And so when I shared the encounter that I had 25 years ago, it was just reiterating what is already promised in Scripture. It was a modern-day amplification of that Reinforcing the biblical promises that are in God's heart to reveal his glory in the earth. We also looked at a passage in Revelation 19.10, if you remember, that clearly says that all prophetic activity, all prophetic encounters, there's a litmus test in that passage there. Do they glorify God? We don't worship anyone, anything except God. And secondly, do they testify about Jesus? The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I remind us of those things. Next week, actually, I'm going to hand out a, uh, a little brochure on prophetic ministry because we want to make it abundantly clear that we practice this gift in line with the Scriptures. And some people have asked, why, now, why do you talk about prophetic ministry and all? Paul did. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, pursue earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And again, there's something about prophetic ministry that calls out the gifts of other people. So that's why we talk about it. That's why we revisit it. We love the Holy Spirit. We love all the Spirit's gifts. But there's something in particular that Paul himself, the apostle, highlighted We're prophetic people. So today, the second part of last week's theme, sustaining faith in God's prophetic promises. It's interesting if you think about it, this book right here, about 30% of scripture actually is prophecy. So what we're talking about here is not anything new. You sustain your faith. God sustains your faith day by day, week by week. And you have faith in God's word, right? A third of it, nearly, is prophecy. We are people of faith who are sustained by God's goodness, God's grace. So I want us to think today, in particular, about how do we deal with large-scale promises. We talked about the kingdom of God. I talked about worldwide revival. What do we do with that stuff? How do we live in the mundane, the day-to-day? How do we sustain faith? How do we not burn out? How do we not get disappointed? And so this morning, I want to share some practical suggestions on that. And I want to start with this interesting spectrum up here of prophetic promises as we look at sustaining faith. So if you check this slide out, you see on the left, Isaiah made promises about the coming Messiah and how long did it take for those to be fulfilled? 700 years. So on one side of the spectrum, how long do you have to wait? Maybe 700 years to see a prophetic word come to pass. We're still waiting for Christ to return so I could even put another one up there that's longer. But look, on the right, I didn't want to dishearten us so much. Jesus after his resurrection, appeared to his disciples and said, you're going to need to wait 40 days. And he actually spent time with them talking about the kingdom, and he said, wait 40 days, and then what happens? The promise of the Father is coming. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. So this morning, I want you to keep that spectrum in mind. God may speak to you. God may speak to you from scripture. God may give you a dream, a vision, something like that, a prophetic word from someone else And you can think in terms of, do I have to wait a long time? Will I ever get to see this? Or is it closer to 40 days? I'm not sure, I'll let you wrestle with the Lord over that. But we are already and not yet people. We're people of the kingdom, so the truth is we live in tension all the time, don't we? This is nothing new, it's not a novel idea. I wanna suggest though, that with this in mind here, And with prophetic words, prophetic promises, the promises of the Old and New Testament, that we have to realize that God's timetable is different than ours. We're not very happy about that. I'm not hearing a lot of, amen, I love it. God's timetable is different than yours and mine. And so we have to realize that. And the second thing I would say is we have to let go of control and outcome and hold on in faith. God set it up this way for ways beyond our reasoning, but I think it's because God changes us in the process. God speaks to us, gives us promises, and then we have to hold on to him. So this morning, I'm gonna talk about a handful of things that we can do to sustain faith in God's promises. If we give ourselves to these things and cooperate with God's empowering grace, things are going to be better God is going to sustain us. And really, each one of these, church, is a way to position us under the waterfall of God's grace. The only way that we're sustained is by the goodness and grace and love of God. Bottom line. So each of these is a way to position us under God's grace and love and goodness. So the first thing I want to suggest is that we are sustained by the scriptures got a couple of verses up here John 5 39 through 40 Jesus says this you search the scriptures and he's talking to the scribes of the day the the professional theologians and he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that testify on my behalf yet you refuse to come to me to have life And what's tucked in these verses here, he's correcting them. But you know what he's saying here? Scripture is intended to bring you to me. Do you see that? These are experts. These are people that have the scriptures by and large memorized. They know the word inside and out. They know the commentary. They can quote large portions of scripture. And Jesus is saying, you guys have missed the point. The scriptures themselves are intended to bring you to me. The written word brings you into the presence of the living word. So searching the scriptures is good, isn't it? But the scriptures don't bring life on on their own. Some of you might go, well, did I mishear you? No, you didn't. Scripture is like a sacrament. So this morning we're going to encounter Jesus through the sacraments. How many of you have a relationship with grape juice and bread? You don't. It's a sacrament. It's a mysterious symbol that brings you into encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus. The word of God is a sacrament. So if you try to have a relationship with a book, it's like reading a biography and poring over the biography. You're in a room, reading it, and someone is at the door. Hey, that book is about me. Could I come in and have a conversation with you? No. I want to sit here and read your biography as much as I can. I'm actually pretty smart, and I'm learning a whole lot about you and your life and your background and what you do. So I'll get to you later, back to the biography. The whole point of Scripture is to bring us into the presence of God. And it's a subtle adjustment sometimes. Sometimes it's easier, we think, to have a relationship with a book, but take scripture and pray it and interact with the living Jesus. One of my favorite Eastern Orthodox theologians, a guy named Callistus Ware, says this, the real purpose of reading the Bible is to feed our love for Christ, to kindle our hearts into prayer, and to provide us with guidance in our personal life. So when we come to Jesus through scripture, we're nourished. There's another verse, Deuteronomy 8.3, a well-known verse that Jesus himself prays in the moment of temptation as he's pushing back against the enemy. And it says this, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in the ancient world, bread was the staple of life. You had to have it. And so what Deuteronomy is saying here is, do you want to live? Feed yourself, nourish yourself on the words that come from the mouth of God. They will nourish and sustain you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, that got loud. If you put these instructions before The brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. So Paul tells Timothy that the apostolic instructions on how to know and follow Jesus will feed and grow him and the church that he was in charge of. A second thing that sustains us, church, is that we're sustained in community. We hold fast to the Lord's promises together. You're not at it alone. That is good news today in a culture that is incredibly lonely and atomized, and we're all separated from one another. The Lord's church is a community where we can live life, cling to God, and cling to his promises together. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some interesting words in here. If you look at verse 23, hold fast. It's a a Greek word that is related to steering a ship. So, by Meeting together, you're steering the course of your life together. There's another interesting word here on provoke. It means to stir, to provoke, even jab. Do we jab one another in community? Has anyone been jabbed recently? It could be a pleasant jab, might be a nudge, but it also might be rather painful. When we live life together, there are some painful moments. We're like sandpaper. With one another. And Paul is saying, even though you are sandpaper like, meet together, love each other, be committed. This is one of our primary values at our Lord's, isn't it? We are a community in our name and in our mission. And we practice this in various ways. We're doing it this morning. We are meeting and sustaining one another in worship, ministry to one another. We've been talking about groups. Let me just see. Some of you have volunteered to lead a group this fall. Let me just see your hand. We've had some good ideas. Yes, we had about 15. Some of you are not raising your hands. So we've got some new vision on what groups are going to be like. We're going to continue to do C groups and our D groups, the smaller groups, but we're going to have other groups meeting. Essentially, what we're inviting you into is to look into your heart, what has God put there so that you can Gather people around the passion that's in your heart, your gifts, and we can start a group and, and work on that together. And thankfully, they're going to be 12 weeks at a time so that you don't burn out and we can take care of our leaders. Lots of other facets of community. We're actually, this Monday night, we're ending nine months of All Saints Together, We've been studying and praying together scripture, church history, the spiritual classics, and we're going to share cake together on Monday night, 20 of us who have gone deep into theology and the scriptures together. So this is very important to us, sustaining one another in community. As I was preparing this this week, I was thinking about how Amanda and I went without community for seven years. And I've shared that before. It was a very difficult and painful time where we could not find community. And so I want us to think about this morning to have a church that we can come to like our Lord's is an absolute gift. It is an honor to be able to come together. And we couldn't find a church like this where we were. We searched and searched and searched, and we were alone. Nobody wanted us. We tried going to Sunday school class, and people wouldn't talk to us. It was very painful and difficult, and she and I both say we will never take community for granted again. We are nutso about community and committed to it. Now, is it easy? No. Being involved in community is challenging, but it's probably better than being alone, isn't it? I'm guessing that some of you are alone and lonely this morning, and so I would invite you into our community, maybe even deeper into the community. Some of us come from really broken family backgrounds, and you know what? You get a second chance. It's called God's family. Amen? So some of you are estranged from parents. Some of you were abused in one way or another by your physical family, so you can join the spiritual family of God and get a second chance. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing, but anyone who tells you it's easy is not telling you the full truth. Communities work. It's tough. I see some of your faces going, oh yeah, you should have known what happened last week. Community is work, but if we love and serve one another, there is incredible sustenance we're sustained. We're not meant to go at it alone. Some of us may think we are, but we're not. A third thing that sustains us, we are sustained through prayer, seeking God together. I just want to point out a couple of forms of prayer that we are committed to here in this community, and one is personal prayer. And this verse in Romans, Paul is actually talking about salvation, and he says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the way in is by faith and by hearing the message about Jesus, but the way on into maturity is also by hearing the word of Christ, hearing the word of God. So we are sustained as we meditate on the words of Jesus, as we hear what he has to say and it washes over us on a daily basis. This morning I got up feeling rather dull, tired, groggy, and I began to preach to my own heart. That's what prayer is. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so I took some of the words of Jesus, and I began to preach them. Wake up heart. Listen to what Jesus says. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So personal prayer. I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to plug this today. We've got some new booklets on the Jesus prayer. And this is only about 30 pages. And it is one of the best little summaries I've read on how to pray the Jesus prayer. Some of you are praying this. It's ten words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Have mercy on me. This prayer has changed my life. It's called an arrow prayer. And it's one that is always ready and accessible for you to pray. So I would urge you, it's actually scripture. It's taken out of Luke 18. So it's a biblical prayer. And you've got Jesus encountering people who needed healing and needed a touch. And they would say, Son of David, have mercy on me. So it is a form of praying scripture. But there's something about it. People have been praying this for about 1,800 years, and it is a go-to prayer. You can always have it ready to go. So through the day, Scott Duncan had talked about being at work, and so even while he's crunching numbers and interacting with people, in his spirit, he's saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And so he works in the presence of God. He's calling out to the indwelling Jesus who lives inside of him. This is a beautiful form of personal prayer. We could talk about various other forms of prayer, but we have some of these on the the bookshelf out in the common area if you want. I think they're $5 for us to break even. Another form of prayer is communal prayer, and I think of Lance Towers. We're going to meet this week and talk about communal prayer, and I know he loves this passage here. It's not just praying alone, but it's praying together. And look at Isaiah 62, verses 6 through 7. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah, and he says, Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted sentinels, or watchmen, soldiers who keep watch. All day and all night, they will never be silent. What do they do? You who remind the Lord, take no rest And give the Lord no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. So another form of prayer is praying the promises of scripture together. That sustains us. There is something powerful about reminding the Lord, Lord, you promised this. You you said you would do this. And I'm taking you at your word reminding the Lord. This is very interesting here. Look at this verse. Some of us have read it and we've never really thought about it. 1 Timothy 1.18. Listen to what Paul says about reminding in the place of prayer. He's speaking to Timothy and he says, I'm giving you these instructions, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made earlier about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight. Do you see the connection there? Paul is saying some of the leaders of the church gathered around Timothy at the beginning of his ministry and they prayed and prophesied over him. And what's Paul saying? Remind yourself of what the Lord said to you. The Lord said you were this, and the Lord called you into this destiny, and the Lord gave you these gifts. Now remind yourself of those things. And then what happens? That's how you fight the good fight. So in community here, we do that. We give prophetic words to one another and we remind one another, this is who you are. This is who the Lord has called you to be. Not this, but this. You have a glorious destiny. A fourth way that we're sustained here is in worship, in song and sacrament. Again, as we're experiencing this morning, we, in song we sing to God And about God. It's musical theology. It's theology and song. And the best worship is that. We sing to God and it reminds us of who he is. His goodness, his mercy, his love for us. And at a church like this, we do, we have a high place of the Lord's Supper and baptism, the sacraments. We worship God, we encounter God through that. And then the Lord calls us into a lifestyle of worship. We do these things in our groups together, we do them on a Sunday morning, but then we're called to live in a, a place of worship, communing with a God of the universe who lives inside of us, who says that our bodies are instruments of worship. Look at Romans 12 quickly here as we wrap up. Romans 12, 1 through 2. The Apostle Paul says this to the church at Rome. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul, as he often does, is jamming a number of word pictures into these two verses here. And he's saying, you, church, are the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. This isn't about animal sacrifices anymore. You are the sacrifice. You're the temple. You're the sacrifice And you actually get to offer sacrifices on the altar of your heart. You get to give yourself to the Father. To give yourself to God. And as you do this, what does the text say here? What happens to our minds? We're renewed. We're transformed. These days, it is so insane out there that I like to think those moments when I unplug from the insanity that's going on out in the world, it's like, okay, Lord, would you unplug me from the brainwashing that's going on out there through the media, through films, through music? It is nuts. And now it's time for you to wash my brain. Would you, as I present my body to you, body, soul, and spirit, would you transform me and renew me in your image powerful things that Paul is urging here. Paul says in Colossians 3, another passage here that's about being sustained in worship. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father. There's several sets of three here. Paul is talking about the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ. And then he's talking about being thankful, being grateful, giving thanks. And I tell you what, if you practice that, it will change things. It will change your perspective. Not only will it sustain you, it will change your day. Have you experienced this before? You're working down that rut of whatever the opposite of thankfulness is, whatever the opposite of gratitude is, and you decide by the mercy of God, I'm gonna give thanks. A couple of months ago, we were in a staff meeting, and there was a mountain of stuff to do and be worried about and to gripe and complain about. And Brad Kilman had the novel idea, why don't we give thanks? And we all said, shut up, Brad. That's too spiritual. We would rather be anxious in this moment. So stop being so spiritual. No, thankfully we listened to Brad and we said, that is a great idea. So we set aside our mountain of anxiety inducing things. And we said, Father, we give thanks. And we just went around the room, Mike and Brad and Wallace and I, and we started to give thanks and it wouldn't stop. Before it was over, what, 25, 30 minutes of giving thanks. And it set the trajectory for the day and the week completely different. If you are in a bad spot, try that. What Paul says, give thanks. If you can't find something, make something up. Father, I thank you for these terrible things that are going on because you are forming Christ in me. Would you change my mind, renew my heart, transform me and I tell you he will so we're sustained in worship the last thing here I'm going to have Carolyn McHenry come up in just a minute the last way that we're sustained church to continue to cling to God in faith is actually on mission you heard me right we're sustained on mission as we say around here we're on mission with Jesus wherever we are and this means several things. It means, one, that each of us is on mission wherever we work, wherever we live. You're a missionary. All followers of Jesus. And we around here want to practice John 5.19, what's called seeing and doing. Jesus says in John 5.19, this is really the secret of his ministry, look at what it says. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So Jesus was throughout his day looking, father, what are you doing? What are you saying? Who are you highlighting? Who do you want me to touch? Who are you healing today? So, this whole notion of seeing and doing, interesting today is 519, right? So, John 519 on 519. A second thing that mission does for us is it reminds us that we at our Lord's are committed to discovering, using, and developing our gifts. Every single person here this morning has gifts from God. And so, we are passionate about seeing those gifts emerge and fanned into flame, and utilized for the glory of God, for the common good. Carolyn, why don't you come up here? Carolyn has been lighting me up around the church office. God is doing amazing things in Carolyn McHenry, and she puts up with us on a daily basis, so that is a miracle in itself. But Carolyn was sharing this week something, and I said, we got to hear that on Sunday morning. So why don't you uh, tell us? You were talking about a certain ministry that you're getting involved in and actually what you did with a particular person. So let's hear about it.
1: So I just started in a prison ministry. I went to Cape Bernard, just down on Martin Luther King. And Ann Blaisdell and Bethany also are getting involved. And so a lady came up to me after they had done their ministry. And she was just welcoming me and said, I am celebrating my one-year anniversary of not cutting myself. And I said, congratulations. And I just said, you know, tried to encourage her. And I started praying for her. I found out she was 25. And as I prayed for her, I mean, I did our prayer that we learned here, hearing the Holy Spirit. And she had tears, but I felt like I was supposed to do something else. And so Brock has been teaching us the Jesus prayer on All Saints. And quite honestly, when he first started doing it, I'm like, really? Oh, this feels kind of <laughs> rotten, yeah, rotten. But I've been practicing it. He gave me a little book called The Jesus Prayer. And so in my morning time, I had been doing it and had really been doing stuff and touching me. So I felt very led. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to leave her with something. So I said, hey, I've learned this prayer. You want to say it with me? And she said, yes. So it is Jesus, no, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And we probably said it about five times. And we said it together. And then I would have her say it by herself. And she, like, in all honesty, she kind of brightened up, enlightened up. And we just kept saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And so when I knew she could say it by herself, I said, when you lonely, when you're scared, when you're sad, you say this prayer, and she got it. She's like, yes, and and she just had a brightness about her, so I'm really learning uh, new things that even seem maybe too simplistic or whatever, but God is doing amazing things in my heart uh, with that prayer.
0: Thank you, Carolyn. I wanted to have her come up because she really is being sustained by some of the things that we're talking about this morning. And that story kind of brings things together. She's a woman of prayer and she's going deeper in prayer, but it doesn't stop there. Something is going on in this stage of her her life to go and find people who need the mercy of Jesus and to be with them. And so I think the Lord is going to continue to do that in the coming days to set each of us on fire in particular ways and say, I want you to do this. Go to this person. Why don't you reach out to these people? And it's going to be a wonderful thing to watch. We're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper here. I just want to say next week, Rock Bottomley is going to be preaching on Matthew 633 seeking first the kingdom of God. And then the next Sunday, beginning June 2nd, we're going to begin our series on 1 Corinthians, looking at how we can be a church in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Mike, you want to lead us in the Lord's Supper?